Amen. That's thanksgiving. That's what Christ has done. No guilt in life, no fear in death. Someone said, take care of your body as if you're going to live for more than 200 years. But take care of your soul as if you're going to die tonight. Because you may just die tonight. And that's why when we open the Bible, we take it seriously. We preach and teach the gospel. Because you never know that may be your last chance of ever hearing the truth about how your ever-living, never-dying soul can be right with God. So we preach Christ as your hope and the hope of all men. Let's go before the Lord in prayer before we go into our sermon for today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this morning. Lord, we come to worship you together with the angels. And we cry, we sing, holy, holy, holy is your name. And Lord, we pray and thank you that you have revealed your holiness and righteousness to us by your son, Jesus Christ. And not only that, You have given us righteousness. You have given us life. You have given us the forgiveness of sins. You have given us an eternal hope. So we thank you for sending Jesus our way because we needed Jesus even though we did not know it. But we thank you that by your Holy Spirit you have revealed to us our need for Jesus, our need for a new birth, our need for living water. Lord, we praise you that when your son came, he accomplished our salvation. He completed our salvation and did not leave anything to us to finish so as to be accepted by you. Whatever it is that you require of us To enter into your blessedness was accomplished by your very own son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we pray now that you would form Christ in the hearts of your people. That you may reveal Christ in the hearts of your people. That they may know that he alone indeed is the Savior of the world. Christ is the one whom you have appointed To be the salvation of man. There is no other name that has been given on earth. By which man may be forgiven. But by the name of Christ Jesus. And Lord we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus. For he did not have to come. There was no reason for Christ to come. And save us. But he came anyway. Because he loved us. So we praise you. And we thank you. 
And as we go into your word, Lord, we pray for illumination. We pray that you open the scriptures to us that we may see Christ for who he is and what he has accomplished for his people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the book of John and today we are going to work our way in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Verses 39 to 42. John chapter 4, verses 39 to 42. We have Jesus still dealing with the Samaritans. We are coming to the end of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritans. And the Samaritans have a testimony to share about Jesus. The Samaritans have a testimony for you to share about Jesus. So we're going to hear what the Lord spoke through the Samaritans. Because if the Samaritans' testimony of Jesus was true, then it was not because of them that it was true. It was true because it's God who was saying all that they said about Christ is the Holy Spirit who was talking through them to make a true testimony of Jesus. So this is what the word of the Lord says. John four thirty nine to 42. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified He taught me all the things that I have done. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves And know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. For those who like titles, like myself, the title of our sermon is going to be The Savior of the World. The Savior of the World. At this point, the Samaritan woman has left Jesus and her water pot at the well and has gone back to the city because she can't contain the excitement of this man who has told her everything about herself. This man, this Jew, this sir, this greater than Jacob the prophet, this Messiah, has told her unusual and strange things about her life. He has opened the most intimate secrets of her life and told her that she has had five husbands and the one that she lives with is not her husband. But if this man can know all these intimate things about her life, 
without condemning her. Jesus did not condemn the woman. Without taking advantage of her, he has to be more than all the men that she has met with before. She has met all kinds of men in her life. But this one is different. Even though she has had five husbands, that is, she has gone through five marriages. And now she has a live-in and potentially that's marriage number six. And not only that, she also has a bad reputation because she is a man's nature. But when she encounters this man, she is not ashamed to come and introduce him to the city. She is not ashamed to introduce to her city yet another man. In spite of her bad reputation, she is known for men. And yet she has another man. And she comes and says, I have met a man. You have to come and see if this one is the Messiah. This is the woman's attitude. If she can, if she can find a better man than the six that she has already had, she is willing to risk herself and her reputation to bring another man. She is defiant. She doesn't care when it comes to her man. And she takes the risk to introduce Jesus to a people who know about her ways. To a people who know about her sin. But she can't help but introduce this man because he is the most exciting man that she has ever met. This man has told her everything about herself. But this time around, her reputation does not rest on her history. When you come to Christ, your reputation does not rest on your history, on your sin. Your reputation rests on the reputation of Jesus, on the faithfulness of Jesus. Jesus was not going to let this woman down in spite of her bad reputation. When Jesus told the woman to go call her husband and come back, if you still remember, that's how the Lord got to her. He said to her, go call your husband and come back. And her testimony was, no, sir, I have no husband. And Jesus' testimony to her was, you have spoken truthfully. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you have is not your husband. But that statement was said to her to reveal three things. Firstly, it was to reveal her sin. And secondly, for her to know that she was talking to someone special. Someone who comes and gives you, reveals the very intimate details of your life. 
And thirdly, that she may go back to the city as an evangelist to prepare the way for Christ who intended to go there after her. So this was Jesus' way to introduce himself to her and the rest of the Samaritans. So Jesus was not coming to reveal the woman's secrets just for the sake of it, that he may gossip about it as we are prone to do. But to bring joy to her through the revelation of a sin. Jesus did not condemn the woman because of a sin. At the end of the revelation of a sin, she was excited about Jesus. But none will meet with Jesus and not have their secrets revealed. You cannot meet with Jesus and not have your secrets revealed. That is the first step of your diagnosis. You can't come to Jesus and not know that you are a sinner. If that diagnosis does not happen, then Jesus cannot help you. Jesus reveals his secrets to her to make her aware of her desperate situation. A situation that Jesus alone could help. There's no desperate situation that cannot be helped by Jesus. There is no desperate situation that is not helped by Jesus. Even if it happens among the heathens. When the heathens get relief from trouble, it is not because of them. It is because of the grace of God in Jesus. They just don't know how God works. So the revelation of this woman's sin was there for her to know that she is a sinner and that she was in a desperate condition, a desperate situation that Jesus alone could help her. And we see Nicodemus in a similar situation. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 gets in trouble with Jesus. Because if he does not get in trouble, Jesus profits him nothing. You have to get in trouble with Jesus first before you see what God is telling you about Jesus. Jesus has to be your enemy first before he becomes your friend. And the way that you know you are an enemy of Jesus is to know that you are a sinner. And when you know that you are a sinner, then Jesus is willing and is able and is happy to help you with your situation. Nicodemus gets in trouble that Jesus may teach him the truth about his desperate situation and his real need Nicodemus was a Jew and he thought he was saved because he was a Jew and Jesus comes and says no 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 Nicodemus things don't work that way you need to be born again you need to be born from above you need the Holy Spirit to give you life because as things stand if you die Nicodemus you go to hell. You need the life of the Spirit. And that is not in your power. 
God has to do it for you. So Nicodemus finds himself in a desperate situation. And the Samaritan woman finds herself with another teaching that put her in a desperate situation. She finds herself looking for a water that could not be put in a bucket. Remember the story. The woman is at the well and she has come to fetch some water. Jesus shows up and Jesus begins the conversation and says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, who is talking to you, you would have asked him for living water. And of course, there begins the confusion. There begins the misunderstanding. The woman is thinking, how can this man, a Jew, talking to a Samaritan woman, be talking about water, the giving of a living water, and yet he does not have a bucket. This is a well that is 100 feet deep. How can this man talk about giving me some water when he doesn't have anything to fetch the water with? So she finds herself in a desperate situation. She has to understand what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying, you need to have this water. But you have to talk to me if you have to have the water. And only I can give the water. So the Samaritan woman meets with Jesus and she is awakened to her need of living water. And she is awakened to the reality that it's only Jesus who can give this living water. So she says to Jesus in John 4.15, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. She realizes, as we have taught. And of course, she is speaking more than she understands. But that's exactly what Jesus is teaching us. That's what Jesus was teaching her. That if you continue to do the thing that you are doing by yourself, you shall not see life. You can never work enough. You can never fetch enough water. You can't fetch enough water to carry to heaven. You don't have enough buckets to carry enough water because we don't know where heaven is. We don't know how far heaven is. Is it close to the sun? Is it beyond the sun? How do you get there? Do you go through the International Space Station? How do you carry your water to heaven? Jesus says, no, you don't need that bucket. Leave your bucket with me and I'll give you a water that springs from within you. And it springs up to eternal life. So Jesus comes and talks to the Samaritan woman, but he has a greater intention than just meeting with the Samaritan woman. Jesus has an appointment with his people from among the Samaritans. Jesus uses this occasion with the woman as a stepping stone to get him to the Samaritans. He is preparing his way as it were to get to the Samaritans. The Samaritan woman is there to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus has invited this woman to participate in Jesus' labor 
of reaping his people. Jesus is harvesting his people. Jesus is calling his people and he is putting them into God's storehouse. And he gives them eternal life. So we hear from the testimony of the woman, this is what happened. Verse 39 of John 4. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. Apostle John tells us that many of the Samaritans believed in Jesus on account of the testimony of the woman. And we too have our testimonies. Our testimony about Jesus is not that he bought us a nice car or a nice house and end up making that the gospel. That is not the testimony that the woman brought to the Samaritans. The testimony was that Jesus told her about her sin. That's how you know you have a true testimony of Jesus. Jesus tells you about your sin. If your testimony of Jesus is not about him revealing your sin, then you have met the wrong Jesus at the well. When you meet with the Jesus that the Samaritan woman met, he has to reveal your sin to you and all the things that you have done. And of course, he also tells you that it's impossible for you to change your situation by yourself, by your ability, by your strength, by your goodness, by your faithfulness. He alone can do it. And we tell people, they think that when they meet with God, they'll be able to reason their way into heaven. They'll have a list of things that they think are very good. The things that they thought they did that were good. And they are hoping that God was just looking at those things. And they think when they show up before the presence of the Lord, they're going to say, Oh Lord, get me in because of what I did for you. Jesus says, No, 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 no. Many will come to me on that day and say, Didn't we? Didn't we do miracles? In your name. And you know the response of the Lord. You cannot come and talk about you in the face of Jesus. When you come before God, you talk about Jesus. When you come before God, point to Jesus. Say him. Talk to him. You have to hear the sermon that we are going to be teaching on communion. We are having communion a week from today, I believe. You have to hear the sermon. The Lord has already given me the sermon. My point is, when it comes to you and God, don't talk about you. Talk about Jesus. If you talk about you, God does not want to hear from you. He wants to hear from Jesus. So we are told that the woman said to the Samaritans, 
I met this man who taught me everything that I ever did. I don't think that Jesus taught her every single line and point of everything that she ever did. I think what she was saying was that Jesus revealed that which defined her as a person. Jesus revealed to her that very thing that defined her as a person. And that was what was driving her to be the woman that she was. And it was because she was a sinner. So, when you come to Jesus, he will reveal to you not necessarily everything that you have done, but he will make sure that you know that you are a sinner. So, for you to know that you are a sinner is a summary of who you are. It's a summary of who you are. Listen to Romans 5.18. Romans 5.18 says, So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. And James 2.10, James 2.10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law, whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. If you miss one point of the law, one point for one second, doesn't matter how good you are, the rest of your life. The scripture says you are guilty of the whole law. If you miss one point, if you miss one point, if you are mean to someone on the elevator, for one second, God says, that's it. That's enough for you to go to hell for all of eternity. And men don't know that. You don't need to have gone to prison to be a bad person. You are already bad just because you exist. Even if you don't ever do anything. Even if you get born and you stay in your house until you die. By yourself. God says you are a sinner. You still need Christ. We love to teach people to really understand the Bible. I don't come to just do time and say we had a sermon. We had church. I don't do that. I teach. And teaching requires time. Why? Because when I hear that Gigi has died, my heart, my soul has to have the confidence that she had about Jesus. I did not withhold from her anything pertaining to eternal life. I have to tell you, for how much and how long it takes to teach you about Jesus, because you need Jesus, then you need to go home. 
You need Jesus than you need to watch TV. You need to know who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the only person who loves you. There's no one, not your husband, not your boyfriend, not your kids, not your parents. They cannot die for you. Christ died for you. And he paid for your sins. So, I have to tell you about Jesus. I have to tell you about what God is teaching in his word. That you may grow. To have your hope, not in what is happening here, but in what Christ has done for you. And to set your eyes to the things of above. Eternal life. This is the language of heaven. In heaven, they don't talk about NASCAR and NFL and basketball. They talk about Christ, the Lamb of God, who was slain before the foundation of the world. That's what they talk about. Go read Revelation. I need you to understand this. Coming from Romans 5.18, the one that I read, that through the transgression of one, one man, Adam, by one act of disobedience, plunged the whole humanity into sin and condemnation. Jesus Christ, by one act of obedience, he provided justification for you. Not for himself, for you. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the sinless son of God. He did not need anyone to die for him. He had no sins. But whatever he did, he did it for you. He actually had your name. Jesus had your name. But listen to this. I want to expand your understanding on what James has said in James 2.10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. I said one act of disobedience is a summary of the totality of your person. Just one act. A righteous person or being does not stumble at anything that pertains to righteousness. A sinner or unrighteous being or person stumbles at anything and everything that concerns the law of God. So stumbling in one point of the law is evidence for you that you are an unrighteous being. It is saying that you already possess the sinful nature and because of that, you are capable of breaking all the remaining laws. People will say, oh, he was a good man. I, don't, I didn't even think that he could do that. You only get surprised if you don't know the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. So I won't get surprised that Brother Guido kills someone. I'll be very sad, but I won't be surprised. I'll be very sad, but I won't be surprised because it's in his nature to be able to do that. The only thing that is keeping him from killing someone is because God's grace is holding him. 
The Lord has his hand on him. And if the Lord removes his hand from you, guess what? You are in jail tonight. You go to jail tonight. So stumbling in one point speaks to the totality of your nature as a sinful being. It speaks to your corruption because the sinless does not stumble at any point of the law. They obey the whole law perfectly. And Jesus, because of his one act of obedience, he honored the whole law for you. He honored the whole law for you. And the reason why you die and the reason why you are in trouble is because you have failed to honor the holy law of God. You can't honor the holy law of God by your tithes and offerings. You can't honor the holy law of God by your attendance at church, by your singing in the church, by feeding the poor. It doesn't work like that. The law of God is a righteous law and it can only be honored by one who is righteous like Jesus. Adam, our father Adam, did not plunge the whole human race into condemnation by stealing or selling liquor without a license, breaking and entering, or not paying his taxes. Adam plunged all of humanity into sin and condemnation by one seemingly simple act of disobedience. Just eating a fruit from a tree. Just going to the farm out there and eating an apple. Just one. And God says, that's enough. You are condemned for all of eternity. As simple as that. As simple as that. That's how simple it is for you to sin and fall into eternal judgment. There's something that we need to understand also. We are working our way towards Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. And you have to know why Jesus is the savior of the world. And the only one who is able to save the world. If you don't understand the problem, you cannot understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you. This is what you need to understand. Righteousness is a quality, is an attribute of God alone and not of creatures. Only God is intrinsically righteous in his makeup as God. And God does not have to do anything to be righteous. God is righteous whether he does something or not. He does all things because he is righteous. And we as creatures do not naturally possess righteousness. Because if we did, we would not need grace. Grace is saying you by yourself do not naturally have righteousness. It has to be given to you. And if it's given to you, it's given to you by grace, not because of your goodness. Because if you are good in yourself, then you don't need grace. 
And we know that even the holy angels, the holy angels that are around the throne of God, they are holy angels, which means they are elect angels, which means they are chosen angels. They are not there because they were good in themselves. They are only there by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So you need grace to have salvation. You need grace to have righteousness. So Adam, our father Adam, did not possess righteousness in himself. Even though he was created good and innocent, he did not have righteousness in himself. Because righteousness is not an attribute. Righteousness does not belong to creatures. And so Adam was bound to fall. Adam was bound to fall. And all creatures left to themselves are bound to fall. The devil was created perfect. But when God left him to himself, what happened? The devil fell. The devil fell because even as one of the highest angels, he still did not have righteousness of his own. And this is why you need Jesus whose righteousness is in himself. Jesus has righteousness that is intrinsic to him. It is who he is. The righteousness of Jesus does not rust. It does not fade away. It does not increase or decrease. Yourself, you have good days and bad days. Jesus does not have good days and bad days. The righteousness of God does not go up and down. It remains the same. It is an unchangeable righteousness. It is an everlasting righteousness. So the only way to be righteous before God, the only way for you to be righteous before God for one second, for one second, for one week, for one year, is if you are in the righteousness of the one whose righteousness does not change. And so God, by his grace, has put you in Christ that you may possess his everlasting righteousness. Because if you have just enough righteousness for 50 years, after 50 years, you are going to run out of righteousness and God has to send you to hell. Heaven is a place for those who, whose righteousness does not run out. You can't be in heaven with a righteousness that runs out. You need the righteousness of Jesus that does not change. So you need Jesus even if you had been born sinless and perfect like the holy angels. People need to understand that. Even if you had not sinned as a creature, you still need Jesus. Left yourself in the course of time, you were bound to fall. If Adam did not fall in the garden, guess who was next in line? It was you. If Adam did not fall in the garden, guess who was next in line? 
you were going to fall. It does not take much to sin if you're not God. It does not take much to sin if you're not God. So you need Jesus. Jesus is inevitable. Jesus is unavoidable. In life and in death, in justification or in condemnation, because God has given all judgment to the Son. So the testimony that you have is that Jesus has made you aware that you are a sinner. And when you go home, you get on your knees and say, Thank you, Jesus, for revealing to me that I'm a sinner. Because a lot of the people, these celebrities, they don't realize that they are sinners. They think they are just some good people who have bad days once in a while. They don't realize their problem. And for you to know your problem comes from the grace of God. He is the one who tells you that you need Jesus. You are a sinner. But Jesus does not stop there. When Jesus has revealed your sin, he does not stop there. He also avails himself to you and gives you his living water. He gives you his righteousness. So in verse 40, verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were urging Jesus to stay with them. They begged him that he should stay with them. And why would they be begging Jesus to stay with them when Jesus had not performed any miracles amongst them? Especially if Jesus has told the woman that she's a sinner. The Samaritans liked what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was saying more words and things that was pleasing to the hearts and ears of these people. Apostle John tells us that many more people believed because of his word. Many more people believed not only on the account of the testimony of the woman, but on account of Jesus and what he was sharing with them. And this suggests to us that Jesus, when he met these people, he told them a whole lot more than was recorded here. He told them about who he was and about his work and about salvation. They believed not just what Jesus was telling them, but they laid their life on him. They received him and laid their hold of Jesus by faith. They believed in what Jesus was telling them. The testimony of that woman would be useless if it did not lead to the person of the testimony. Your testimony of everything that God has done for you does not help unless it goes back to Christ. 
you have to go back to Jesus. So, people go around looking for churches. You can move from this church, go to another church. How do you really evaluate that this church is telling you the things that your soul needs? How do you make that judgment? How can you tell? Because you have a man of God wearing a nice suit. There's some lights and the environment looks very good. And the people are nice. But how do you know that he is telling you what your soul needs for salvation? The Samaritan woman here gives us a pattern. The people, when they heard of Jesus, they went to Jesus. The Samaritan woman came and told them and said, Let's go check out this man. She was leading them to Jesus. So as a preacher, day in, day out, if I'm standing here, I only have one work to do. is to tell you about Jesus. is to lead you back to Jesus. Not to me. Not to me. It doesn't matter how many we are. If the Lord determines to grow us and we end up with 2,000 people, with 5,000 people, the responsibility does not change. It doesn't change as I have now. My responsibility is one to tell you about Jesus. Whether I have one person or I have 20,000, the responsibility is come and see this one who is indeed the savior of the world. So the Samaritans made an evaluation of what the woman had told them and what Jesus shared with them. And there was agreement. What I am telling you right now, if you go and read the Bible for yourself, we have to come to the same agreement. We have to come to the same point. We have to confess the same things about Jesus. You can't say you're a Christian who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God. It doesn't matter whether you go to church or not. The issue is, who is Jesus? Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? And what do you say Jesus is? Because the Samaritans said, this one indeed is the savior of the world. So the combined testimony of the Samaritans and our own combined testimony has to be, this one is indeed the savior of the world of the world, the savior of both the Jews because remember the Samaritans and the Jews were enemies. And salvation had been promised to the Jews. The Messiah was coming to establish the Jewish kingdom. But the Samaritans have a testimony. And the testimony was this Messiah is a savior not of just the Jews but of the whole world, including the Gentile, non-Jewish world. That is, including you and I. Because if Christ comes and he saves the Jews alone, you and I have no hope. Unless Christ comes and says, I have some of my people who are not of this fold, I have my sheep who are not of this fold, and they shall come to me. 
he was talking about you and I. We belong to the fold of Jesus. Jesus is the savior of the world. Remember what the women said in the Samaritans. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have had for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. We have to understand the theological reasons why Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is the savior of the world because God appointed and qualified him to be the savior of the world. John 6.27 John 6.27 This is the Lord Jesus Christ talking to the Jews. This is what he said. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. He has set his seal on him. God the Father has put his seal. He has marked Jesus out as the one by whom you can only be saved. The seal was put on booze. The seal was put on booze that were marked out to be killed for ritual purposes and could not be changed or undone. Once a bull was marked out to be killed for a ritual ceremony, it could not be reversed. And this was a practice in Egypt and all the surrounding pagan nations at this time. And even in my own culture, we still have this practice. Because we give the family name to the bull. And we perform some rituals. And once the bull has been given the last name of the family, that bull cannot be used for anything else. It cannot be used as a beast of burden. It can't be pulling anything. It's just there to carry the family name. It's been marked out for that purpose. And Jesus has this seal from God that he is marked out for the purpose of being your savior. That is the function. That is the purpose for which Christ was revealed for you. And nobody else has been qualified by God to do such a work. And so in Acts 4.12, Apostle Peter would say, And there is salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. You need to be saved by someone who has a name that God has given them. That he recognizes. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the name of God. It is the name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess. That Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus is God 
And the name of Jesus says, do you know what the name of Jesus means? It means God is salvation. That's what Jesus means. God is salvation. That is saying Jesus is God. And there's only one name that God has given by which you can be saved. That is saying Jesus is the only mediator between you and God. When God is about to strike you with this wrath and judgment, if he sees Jesus, he stops. If God is about to send you to hell, there's only one who stands between hell and you. There's only one. There's only one who stands between hell. It's Christ Jesus. If Jesus is gone, hell is waiting. Jesus is the one that God has appointed. Jesus is the one who has enough power to keep hell away from you. Because hell every day is trying to suck you in. Because every time that you sin, it's hell that is trying to invite you in. And Jesus says, no, she belongs to me. He belongs to me. I died for her. Jesus is the one that God has appointed. Jesus is the only one whose work is accepted by God. And your peace with God, your acceptance by God is only in Jesus. Your peace and acceptance by God is not in you being good today and then bed tomorrow and say, I'm sorry. And then being good another half hour and bed the next hour and then say, I'm sorry. It doesn't work like that. Your acceptance and peace with God only comes from Jesus. He is the one that God has appointed as your peace. You are at war with God. You have always been at war with God. You need one who comes and says, peace. One that can hold God and yourself. Jesus Christ is the one, the God-man, who can talk to God. And God listens to him. And he can talk to you. And you have to listen to Jesus. But when we say Jesus is the savior of the world, we are not saying Jesus is going to save everyone. We are not saying people who hate Jesus are going to be saved. We are not saying people who don't believe in the gospel are going to be saved. No, you can't be saved if you don't believe in Jesus. You can't be saved if you do not be, believe in the gospel. You can't be saved. You have to believe in Jesus. And the world needs a savior. The world needs a savior. Everything that is in the world needs salvation because it is dying and decaying. It is decaying because anything that does not possess the righteousness of Christ has to decay. And it has to die. The world and everything in it needs salvation 
because of the sin of man. Even our water, our air is polluted. It needs salvation. We do not have a Midas touch when it comes to righteousness. We have a Midas touch when it comes to unrighteousness. And as I teach, the sin of man is not a bad accident that could have been prevented with some good old moral lessons to Adam. God would have put a fence there. But it would only lasted a few weeks. You know the children of men. They'll find a way to get in. The problem with Adam was not because the devil showed up and beguiled him. Because remember, God also used to show up in the garden. The problem with Adam was that he was of the dust. Adam was a man and a creature. And creatures are bound to change. They are bound to fall. They are bound to sin. Even if it's a beautiful flower. If I buy you some roses, you only water them for a, for a week. And afterwards, they start to wither. So we as creatures, no matter how beautiful we look, we are bound to sin because that's what we do. That's what we are. Our nature allows us to sin. Adam and Eve and the angels were created good. They were created without sin in them. I'm going to teach this because you may never hear it from other people. I like to teach that you may know why Christ is your only hope. Because next week, I have a whole lot more things to say. Adam and Eve and the angels were created good. That is, they were created without sin in them. However, they were created with a nature that made them susceptible to sin. The fallen angels sinned because their nature allows for change. It allows them to change and become unrighteous. Adam sinned because his nature could also change. Adam was not created with the nature of diamond. I'm going to give you an illustration. Diamond is a girl's best friend. Diamond is impossible to corrode with acid or caustic. You can't corrode diamond. It is the hardest substance known to man. Diamond, that's the hardest substance. Diamond does not corrode because of its nature. It is the hardest material. And you know I'm a chemist. In chemistry, we say diamond has what we call a giant covalent structure. You don't even need to know what that means. It just means it makes it impossible to corrode. It makes it incorruptible to any agents of corruption like acid or water or salt. You know, like when you're driving this winter 
and they use salt on the rods to salt the rods. And if it gets on your car and you don't wash it, your car is going to rust. Why is it rusting? Because salt is an agent of corruption. We have stainless steel. And some of you have some stainless steel appliances. And stainless steel is metal. And it has a different nature to diamond. The atoms or, and electrons are arranged differently from diamond. And that is why metal is different from diamond. Okay? This is why they have difference in behavior and in their properties. Stainless steel is made of metal. And because it's metal, it does everything that metal does. It conducts electricity. It bends. It changes. It reacts with acid and caustic. Yes, it looks good when you have a stainless steel appliance. But if you expose it to acid, to salt and bad weather conditions, it will surely rust. Leave your stainless steel appliance outside for five years and come check. So the problem is not the acid. The problem is not the sword. The problem is the nature of the material. The problem is the nature of the material. Hear me this. Adam was created good, but not as incorruptible as diamond. He was created good, but with a like nature to stainless steel, which when exposed to the right corrosive forces, degrades and suffers corruption. And the devil showed up in the Garden of Eden to corrode, not diamond, but stainless steel. Because the devil came for Jesus, who is diamond, and he could not tempt Jesus. He tried to have Jesus worship him. And Jesus said, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. You worship God alone. So we have natures here that we have to understand. Because when we talk about the gospel, God is saying a whole lot more than a lot of people have been given to understand. The devil was the corrosive force that brought corruption to humanity. But it was also because of the nature of humanity. On the other hand, we have the second Adam. When the Bible talks about the history of mankind, it talks about it in terms of only two people. The first Adam in the Garden of Eden and the second Adam, Jesus. So, you are either in the first Adam or you are in the second if you are in the first Adam alone, you reap corruption. You go to hell. If you are in the second Adam, you reap life. You reap righteousness. You reap peace with God. But let's go back to my illustration. The second Adam, Jesus, is like diamond. But we know that Jesus is more than diamond. He is sinless and is God and is therefore resistant to any kind of change or corruption or corrosion, within or without. And nobody can come 
no matter how corrosive and try to corrode Jesus. To the point that even Jesus, the scriptures say, your Holy One will not suffer corruption. Jesus did not decay even when he died. Jesus did not decay. There were no maggots in the body of Jesus. If you die today by 5 p.m., you're going to have some maggots in your body. Jesus, for three days and three nights, did not get corrupted. Why? Because his nature cannot be corrupted. Even in the grave. You have to understand that. So the writer of Hebrews says of Christ, the writer of Hebrews says of Christ, Hebrews 1, 10 to 12, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Listen to verse 11. Hebrews 1, verse 11. They will perish. That is, they will corrode. They will get corrupted. They will rust. But you remain. And they will all become like an old garment. First off. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. So like a garment, have you ever... I grew up working in the fields. And we didn't have many clothes. You just have one shirt. And you're working from morning to evening. And from the sweat and the heat, your clothes just rip. They just rip. To the point that you don't even wash it. Because if you try to wash it, you actually be <laughs> causing it to rip even faster. So you just keep wearing it. <laughs> so clothes get corrupted. You have seen your clothes. Over time, they get corrupted. And God is saying, that's your nature. But Jesus remains the same. He remains the same from eternity to eternity. Everything about Jesus remains the same. So, you and I were bound to perish. We are bound to grow old and be folded up like a garment. And now, for you to be saved, you need one who does not change. I need you to understand this. For you to be saved, you need one who does not change. You need one who is incorruptible. You need to be put in Christ who is incorruptible. Christ is your protective layer that prevents you from rusting because of sin. We do coat our cars with paint. Right? Painting is secondarily for cosmetic reasons. It's mostly to protect from rust. Okay? It's to protect from rusting. And if you don't paint your car, it's going to rust very, very quickly. Within two, three months of driving it, it's going to start rusting. So Jesus is the protective layer that God has given us that we may not rust into ruin. Jesus is the protective layer whose righteousness does not change. 
Jesus Christ says, if you are not in him, you have no life. If you are not in Christ, you have no life. That is why when the Bible talks about the saints, when the Bible talks about Christians, the ones who believe in Jesus, the Bible never talks about you for you. It says you are chosen or you were chosen in Christ. Right? You were justified in Christ. You were saved in Christ. You were sanctified in Christ. You always have to be in Christ or else you will rust and perish. You have to be put in Christ because he alone has the righteousness that can save you from corruption and ruin. And this is why he is the savior of the world. He alone possesses the power to save you. He alone is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless with exceeding joy before God. The world needs a savior. We're getting close. But if this is my last sermon, and that's how I approach my sermons, I always approach my sermon as the last one. So I, I, I can never give you 20 minutes sermon. I have to t- tell you about Jesus. The world needs a savior because the world cannot stand on its own. The world, both the physical and the spiritual, needs a savior because it does not possess life in itself. It needs a savior because left to its own devices, it is opposed to the nature and righteousness of God. And as I said, if God would leave you, if God would leave you today by yourself, before 5 p.m., you would have left Jesus. You won't be a Christian. If God leaves you, if God leaves you by yourself, before 5 p.m., you won't be a Christian anymore. But God has put you in Christ And he will make sure that you never leave Christ. No matter what happens to you. No matter what comes to you. No matter how this life gets hard. You will never leave Christ. Because Christ does not change. And once God has put you in Christ, it doesn't matter. You may struggle, but you can never be removed from Christ. Okay. So your will is not enough to make you understand your need of Christ. Your will is not enough. Your reason is not enough. If at all, it is your will and your reason that has you in trouble. (laughs) It's your will that gets you in trouble with God. It's your will that drives you to sin. It's your will that drives you to run away from God. Your will and mine are infested. They are infested with unrighteousness. They are infested with sin. They are infested with dead men's bonds. That's the language of Jesus. So you want to come to Jesus and get the righteousness that is not infested with anything. The righteousness that is not tainted with anything. The Lord Jesus Christ taught us in this book of John, in John chapter 4, that left to yourself, You are like the Samaritan woman. 
left yourself, you will be seeking satisfaction in the wrong things. The Samaritan woman was seeking satisfaction in men. Men was her thing. And we have our own things that are different from hers. But for her, man was her thing. And as I have said before, Sister Sarah Samaritan, I gave her name, was going to husband number six, number seven, number eight, number ten. If Jesus had not showed up. But Jesus shows up, husband number seven, and he's the perfect one. Seven is a number of completion. It's a number of perfection. So Jesus shows up as husband number seven because he is the perfect husband. So if you're looking for a perfect husband, you're not going to find the one that you have at home. It's Jesus. Jesus is your perfect husband, okay? So you want to come to Jesus because Jesus gives you rest. Jesus is the one who gives rest. The Samaritan woman could not rest. She had to continue to come to the well. And Jesus says, the one who continues to drink the kind of water that you are drinking will never rest. They will continue to thirst. And what Jesus was saying, as we have learned, was that by your works, you can never be satisfied that God has accepted you. You can never say, oh, I've given enough money to the church. I think I've sung enough songs to praise God. I think I've done, so God, here I come. Jesus is saying, there's no rest in anything that you do. Left to yourself, you wake up at night. Oh, this is going to get worse the older you get. Because you're thinking, I'm dying. And you're looking at what you've done. Did I? Oh, wow. So what am I going to do now? Okay. What are you going to do? Because the devil is going to come and accuse you. Remember who he is. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's going to come and say, uh, Sister Dassel, you remember that day? Or oh, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. Or oh, I don't think Jesus did everything that you guys believe in. What are you going to say to that? This gospel that we're talking about, it's not for this body of believers. It's for you. Even if nobody was here, I would preach it to you as long as I am doing it right now. Ask him. It doesn't matter how many are in here. If you are one, or even by myself, I can preach this for this long. Just talking. Why? Because this is a serious matter. Because once you go to hell, there's no more sacrifice for sin. God is never, ever going to get you out. You are not going to hell for two weeks. Not for 100 years. Not for 20,000 years. Not for 20 million years. It's forever. So if this is true as Jesus has given it, how much are you willing to give to possess this? How much do you have to give to possess this kind of life. You have nothing that you can give. Because Jesus said, what shall a man give? What shall a man give in exchange for their soul? Jesus is saying, your soul does not belong to you. It needs to be exchanged. So what are you giving? How much money do you have to exchange? Are you exchanging your house? Are you exchanging your car? For life, Jesus says, even the whole world 
even if the whole world belonged to you, you had the title deeds to the world. Jesus says, you couldn't give the world to God for your soul not to go to hell. That's what he was saying. But Jesus is the savior of the world because he is able to make the transaction. Jesus is able to make that debit transaction and pay for your credit. So, we need rest from our works. We need to come to Jesus. We belong to the world, a world that needs salvation. And Apostle Paul tells us that the whole world is groaning. The whole creation is groaning and is in pains with birth pangs together until now. And what is happening? And even ourselves are in birth pangs. We are suffering the corruption because of sin. And the Holy Spirit tells us that all this is going to be gone when we have been redeemed fully. Even our bodies have been fully redeemed. We are the sons of God. We are the sons of God. So the redemption that the world requires, the redemption and restoration of the world and everything that is wrong in the world is not going to happen at the United Nations. It's not going to happen when you cast your ballot in the next presidential election. Rather, it's going to happen at the full redemption of the sons of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's no redemption to be found in this or that political party, in this or that program. There's only one party that gives true and everlasting redemption. It is the party of Jesus. And this belongs to him alone. And membership, Jews have already been paid by him. All the Jews for membership with Christ have already been paid in Christ Jesus. Now, lastly, we'll address those who say there are multiple ways to heaven. There are many people who think that there are multiple ways to heaven. And they think so because they don't know the God of the Bible. And they don't know the Jesus of the Bible. They have not met with Jesus at the well. And he has not declared all things to them about salvation and God. They have not come to Jesus at night like Nicodemus. And head of the new birth. There are no multiple ways to salvation. There are multiple ways to go and meet with God. But there's only one way of salvation. Every man is going to meet with God. But there's only one way of meeting with God in peace. It is in Christ Jesus. Salvation requires more than just wishing someone to be in heaven because they died. Salvation requires more than being a good citizen and paying your bills on time and having a good credit report. Heaven is God's house. 
and he has rules to how you get there. I say, or you say, some of you in your houses, you say, no shoes in my house. Don't get your shoes on my carpet. And yet you're a sinner. And yet a sinner. You want to keep your house clean. And you think God doesn't have a carpet that he needs to keep clean? God says to sinners, no sinners in my house. Even the holy angels, when you read Isaiah chapter 6, they cover their feet. They cover their eyes. Because they are in the face of a holy God. God says, no sinner in my heavenly house. Unless one is covered by the blood of the Lamb. God says, no sinner in my heavenly house. Unless you believe in Jesus as your only righteousness. God says, no sinner in my house. Unless you repent and believe in Jesus. No sinner in God's heavenly house. Unless one believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No sinner in God's house. Unless they are born again. And no sinner in God's house. Unless they leave their bucket with Jesus. And get his living water. Many people think they go to heaven. Because they exist. People think they go to heaven simply because they exist. They haven't had that they have a much deeper problem. They haven't had that heaven can only be had by one who comes to heaven through Jesus Christ. Mohammed cannot save the world. Buddha cannot save the world. Politicians cannot save the world. I see people crying. When they get disappointed by politicians. I'm like, why are you crying? They are sinners. <laughs> politicians cannot save the world. Hugging trees does not save the world. Anti-aging creams cannot save the world. A cure for cancer cannot save the world. A cure for Ebola or AIDS cannot save the world. Salvation belongs to Christ alone. Only Jesus can save the world because God has appointed him and has given him the full rights and privileges to redeem and to judge. Life and death are in the hands of the Lord. Judgment and condemnation are in the hands of Jesus. If you believe in anyone or someone who is not Jesus, you have no hope. If you believe in, you don't have to believe in someone, but you can believe in yourself. Like the ones who call themselves atheists. They believe in themselves. Jesus Christ is the only one who is able to save atheists. Adulterers, murderers, Thieves, liars, drunkards, the verbally abusive, the greedy, the idolaters. All these can only be saved by one person. To argue that you were born this way 
is the very reason why you need Jesus to save you from this way. Everybody was born this way. I was born this way. I was born a sinner. I can't keep stealing and say, don't tell me about my stealing because I was born this way. I was born this way because that's the only way I can be born. I was born speaking lies right from my mother's womb. Jesus does not save you in your sin. The angel of the Lord said to Joseph in a dream, You shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You cannot be saved in Christ and continue to practice the very sin that Christ is saving you from. You can't say, Oh, I'm going to keep stealing, but I've been saved in Jesus. I'm going to keep lying, but I've been saved in Jesus. No, no, no. His name is Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. If you believe that, you have met the wrong Jesus, and you heard from the wrong angel. But the true Jesus says, I reveal your sin to you, but I don't condemn you. But go and sin no more. Or else worse things will happen to you. Go and sin no more. Or else worse things will happen to you. This Jesus is the savior of the world. Because. This is my last statement. God raised him up on the third day. And granted. And granted that he become visible. Not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. Jesus has been made visible to you, but not to all people. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Listen, and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. And of him all the prophets bear witness. That through his name. Everyone who believes in him. Receives forgiveness of sins. Amen. I'm done. I'm done. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again. Our Lord, to praise you and worship you. And thank you for all these words, wonderful words of, of life of Jesus and what he has done to save his people. For we were hopeless people. We were going to die and just wake up in hell and not even know what happened. But by your spirit, you have given us the understanding of Jesus. You have given us the way of life, the way of righteousness, the way of peace and joy with you, the way of eternity. This is the blessing that even David spoke in Psalm 32, that blessed is the man 
to whom the Lord does not impute his iniquity. That's the blessing that we seek today and for your people. That you may not impute their iniquity to them on account of Jesus. Lord, we pray and thank you for your people that you've gathered here today. We know each and every one came by your doing. They came to hear that Jesus Christ is indeed the Savior of the world. And as they go out, Lord, may you be with them. May you guide them and protect them for the sake of Christ and bring them to yourself. For without Christ, they are hopeless. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.